Now, throughout church history, as the church has reflected on the church, the doctrine of the church, there have been two primary dangers. One danger has been to exalt the church too high. And that's what happened in the Middle Ages when the church was lifted so high that people thought that the church was the authority over the scriptures, that the church is over the authority of God's word. And that caused problems for believers if you make the, the church the number one authority. But then I think that often we see the opposite problem today, that rather than exalting the church too high, that so often in modern times we, we shove the church too low. We don't think about the church. We don't value the church. Even many believers think of the church as an afterthought within the Bible, something that's optional for the Christian life. So the question then is, how do we think about the church biblically? How do we think about the church from the scriptures? And that's what we see in this text. It's easy to miss. You can, you can pass over it so easily. But remember, Paul is talking about his call to the ministry in verse 7 and 8. And part of his call was to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. The other part of his call was to, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. But then in verse 10, we see the, the purpose statement. He says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so in verse 10 there, notice what is being made known. He says that it's the, the manifold wisdom of God. The word manifold means many-sided, multidimensional, this, this many-sided wisdom of God that is being made known. This is the wisdom of God in the plan of redemption. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that was predicted in the Old Testament, brought to light through the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, and then is being proclaimed to the world, bringing together Jew and Gentile in one body, the plan of the mystery, the manifold wisdom of God. That is what is being made known. But then also notice in verse 10, to whom it is being made known. He says that this manifold wisdom is being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That the manifold wisdom is being made known to heavenly hosts. This could be talking about Angels themselves who, who marvel as they think about the gospel, God taking on himself a true human nature to redeem sinful humanity, that, that it's being made known to the angels themselves who look at the work of redemption and marvel. And in a sense, it's also being made known to 
the demonic forces in the invisible places that they, they don't know it for salvation. They don't know it marveling in joy, but yet it is being the, the, the wisdom of God is being displayed in the world. And you can also notice in verse 10 who it is that is making this manifold wisdom known. And that's hidden a little bit within the grammar. You'll, if you care about grammar, uh, you'll notice that it, it's in the, the passive voice. It's being made known that there is an implied subject. And that's often called the, the divine passive within Scripture, that God is the one who is making it known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. But then notice, finally, the agent, the means through which it's being made known. He says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. And that's something very incredible to say about the church, that through the church, the multi-sided, multi-dimensional wisdom of God is on display, not simply to earthly powers, not simply to people within this world, but to heavenly authorities and powers that the church is displaying the manifold wisdom of God. That is a high view of the church. And so today I want to camp out on that phrase, through the church, and I want to draw out three applications from that phrase. We'll draw, draw out an application for the mind, how we think, for the will, how we act, and then for the heart, how we feel. So let's start then with the, the first application. And the first application is for the mind that we need to understand the church with our minds. We need to understand the church with our minds. Because when Paul says that the wisdom of God is made known through the church, we need to understand what he means by the word church. Or this goes over our head. We misunderstand what he is saying. And as we, we think about the church, you could reflect on how the Apostle Paul himself has talked about the church within the book of Ephesians thus far. Remember that at the, the end of, of chapter 1, he says that all things have been put under the feet of Christ and that Christ was given as head over all things to the church. And then it says, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So the church, according to Paul, is the, the body of Christ. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. You'll remember at the end of, of chapter 2 as well, Paul talked about the church as a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so the church is the, the temple of the living God. Or later in the book of Ephesians, 
You can think of Paul in, in chapter 5 talking about the church as the, the bride of Christ presented to, to the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you could go in the teaching of Paul outside of the book of Ephesians. You could think about Paul in 1 Timothy 3 when he says that the church is a, a pillar and a buttress of truth, that Paul has this very high view of the church. But he's not alone. You see this in other authors within the New Testament. And in fact, you see this high view of the church from Jesus himself. Think about how Jesus talks about the church in Matthew chapter 16. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I remember I, I heard a sermon on that once and the pastor emphasized each word. He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. I will build my church. And he went through and, and pulled out application from each one of those words. And, and, it, and it's amazing to think about the church then as something that wasn't a, a human invention, that it's Christ. He instituted the church. He is building the church. It belongs to him, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Or you could think about Jesus in Matthew 18, talking about how to deal with conflict. He says, first go to the person individually, then take another person or two along with you. And if there's no resolution, he says, bring it to the church to be dealt with through a process of biblical church discipline. Jesus has a high view of the church as well. But then still we face the question, what is the church? Remember, we're thinking about this application for our mind, understanding the church. And it's helpful, as we do often, to make a distinction between what is called the visible and the invisible church. You may have heard of this distinction before. I, I've talked about it in sermons in the past. But it's very important as we think about the church from the scripture, because the Bible uses the word church in both ways. Listen to how the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, part of our doctrinal standard, describes the, the visible church. It says that the Catholic or universal church, which is, which is sorry, um, this is the invisible church, rather, sorry. Um, this is the invisible church, it's described like this. The Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been or are or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So if you hear that definition, it's saying that the, the invisible church are those who are, are truly believers, who are truly united to Christ by faith, that the indivisible church is the, the spiritual body of Christ. But then we could also talk about the, the visible church. And listen now to the definition of the visible church, that the visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. 
Jonathan talked about that phrase a few weeks ago in a sermon, that ordinary possibility of salvation, that ordinarily the Christian life is, is lived out in the context of the church, that when Jesus says, I'm building my church, he's not just talking about the invisible church, but for believers who are united to Christ, who love the Lord, who are part of the invisible church, the natural response is to, to gather with believers, and that to the outward Visible church, Christ has given gifts. He's given pastors, evangelists, teachers. We'll talk about that in Ephesians 4. He's given the ministry of the word. He's given the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. He's given biblical church discipline. He's given gifts to his church. And, And the ordinary picture in scripture is that the Christian life is lived out within the context of the visible church. Now you say, well, why is Will going on and talking about the visible and invisible church? Because I think it's important as we think about this text from Ephesians chapter 3, when Paul says that the manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church, is he talking about the visible or the invisible church? And I think that in one sense, it would encompass the invisible church, that it is certainly through true believers that the manifold wisdom of God is being made known, those who are really united to Christ. But I don't think that we should limit it, that I think Paul is also talking about the visible church. And you can think about it like this. Imagine that, that somebody grows up in a church and they hear the gospel preached from the minister And they come to faith through the preaching of the word, the gospel going out in that congregation. And then that minister ends up going off the deep end theologically, renouncing the faith, leaving Christianity altogether, never comes back into the fold. Well, in that sense, you would say he was a minister in the visible church, but then he proved himself to not be part of the invisible church. But yet, the people who came to Christ under his ministry really, truly came to Christ. That the gospel was still proclaimed, the gospel was still preached, it was still made known to the rulers and authorities, despite the fact that there's a a mixed bag within the visible church. There's true believers, there's hypocrisy, there's false teaching. But yet, still through that, despite its flaws, despite its blemish, the gospel is being made known. And that's what what Paul is talking about. He's saying that the the manifold wisdom of God is being made known through the church, even through the the visible church that Christ has instituted in the world. But then remember the question, what is the church? So we've talked about invisible versus visible. We've talked about the high view of Paul, of Jesus. But we still haven't quite gotten to the root of what is the church? the church. And this is something that actually was often thought about, and and people struggled to think about this during the Protestant Reformation. Because at that point, the the church was dividing over the, the gospel and the authority of scripture. And the claim from the Roman Catholic Church was that if you leave the outward visible institution of the Roman Catholic Church with the Pope at the top, that you have left the visible church, and by extension, you have left the invisible church, that you can't be a true believer outside of that hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. 
And what the reformers did reflecting on scripture was, was to say, no, what is it that makes a church a church? And then they said that there are three marks of the church, that it is preaching of the gospel, true preaching of the word, right administration of baptism in the Lord's Supper. Again, not that there can't be theological differences that are minor between believers, but, but that they're being practiced as Christ instituted them. And then the biblical practice of church discipline, as Jesus talks about in Matthew 18. That those are the three marks of a church. That where those are not present, where, say, the gospel isn't being preached or where the sacraments aren't being administered, that it, it may be some kind of religious society, but fundamentally it's not a church. And why is that important as we think about verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 3? Well, Paul says that, it, that the manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church. But that doesn't mean that it is made known through the Mormon church, which denies the divinity of Christ and and says that Jesus is Lucifer's brother and that if we follow the teaching of the Mormon church, that eventually we can become gods ourselves like Jesus and the God of the Bible. It's not saying that the manifold wisdom of God is being made known through the Jehovah's Witness church, which says that, that Jesus um, is the first created being, um, that he should not be worshipped, um, that, that he is a, a creature like us. That, that's a different gospel. And so they may use the word church, but it's not fundamentally a church or any church that denies the fundamentals of the gospel that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Even if it considers itself a church, fundamentally it's not a church. And that the church, how is the manifold wisdom made known that it is through the church where the gospel is preached? where the sacraments are administered, where there is biblical church discipline, that this is the church that is defined in the scripture. Without those, it is not a church at all. So pulling these together in this first point then, I said that this involves an application for the mind, understanding the church. Because I think that there's no doctrine in the modern world that is more misunderstood and neglected than the doctrine of the church. And so for as believers, I would encourage you to study the church. You could get a good lexicon or, or on a Bible app on your phone, search the word church. Look up in the Bible where the word church occurs. Read those passages. Think and reflect on the nature of the church. Pray about what it means to, to be the church according to the scripture. You could even read about the doctrine of the church and theological literature. Try to understand it from the mind. Because if it's true that the manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church, then there is a call for us to think and to reflect carefully and to understand the church, to not neglect thinking about the church with our mind. So that's the, the first application, the application for the mind. But then the second application we said is for the will. Thinking about action, bringing what we know into our head into action. And the second application is that we need to prioritize the church with our wills. 
We need to prioritize the church with our wills. Because if it's true that the manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church, then it's not enough to understand it. We need to engage with the church. And there's a lot that we could talk about here. There are many ways that we prioritize the church in our lives. But I want to think about one in particular, a very simple, obvious, straightforward one, which is church attendance. There's some statistics I found on church attendance in the modern world. I'll, I'll read these to you. This is from Lifeway Research. It says, quote, this probably comes as no surprise to pastors and church leaders, but fewer people regularly attend church now than prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. According to analysis from the Institute of Family Studies, in 2019, 34% of Americans attended a religious service at least once or twice a month. So again, pre-pandemic, 34% once or twice a month. And that fell to 31% in 2020 and 28% in 2021. And so the sense of church attendance is, is falling. But it's actually not just a problem out there. It's a problem even within our own denomination, within the Presbyterian Church in America. Listen to what was discovered by the Pew Research Center. And this is talking about the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, a Bible-believing, evangelical, gospel-preaching Presbyterian denomination. It says that 44% attend church at least once a week, 39% once or twice a month or a few times a year, 17% seldom if never, and this was the funny one to me, 1% didn't know. <laughs> so how you don't know whether you go to church or not, I'm not sure. So maybe we'll put that with the seldom or never if, you, if, it's, if they're unaware. But think about that. Under 50%, 44% once a week, almost the same number, 39% once or twice a month or a few times a year. 17% seldom or never. But remember, it says in... Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, that we shouldn't neglect the gathering of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but that we should gather and stir one another up, encourage one another up to, to love and good works, and all the more as we see the day drawing near, that we're commanded in Scripture to gather. And I think about that for those, the 39% who are occasionally and the 17% who are, who are seldom, how often are they watching TV? Do they watch TV once a month? Do they watch the news once a month? Do they use social media once a month? What are the messages that are coming in from the outside world? And if those messages are continuing to come in, then is there the, the influence that comes from with being with fellow believers, from hearing the word preached, from celebrating the sacraments together. What kind of an influence do we have from God's word in our lives, and how does that, that come to us? And what will happen to us if we're getting far more of the world than we are of the truth of God's word and the fellowship of believers? And it's important to say at this point that 
Church attendance is not how we're saved. But you can have perfect 100% church attendance and end up in hell. Because the Bible says that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That we're saved by faith in Jesus alone. But if we are really united to Christ by faith, then that will flow into wanting to gather with God's people on the Lord's Day. And it's not a legalistic principle, but why do you eat? Why do you sleep? Why do you drink water? Why do you try to exercise? It's not that those are just arbitrary things that are on your to-do list that you have to check off and don't matter. But they're, they're, they're necessary for life and for health. And that's how we think about engagement with the church as well, that it, it is necessary for spiritual life, for spiritual health, if we're going to stay strong in all of the suffering that we face in life, to make that a priority, to, to prioritize the local church. That is the call, the implication that we see here in our text of the manifold wisdom is really being made known through the church. And that's the second application, the application for the wills. And so we've said first that we need to understand the church with our mind. We need to prioritize the church with our will. But then finally, we have an application for the heart that we need to love the church with our hearts. Because you can have knowledge in your mind about the doctrine of the church. You can be in church every Sunday, but fail to love the church deep in your heart. But remember that Jesus loves the church with his heart. Turn a page over to Ephesians 5. And as Paul's teaching on marriage, listen to how he tells husbands to love their wives. He says in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present her present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such things that she might be holy and without blemish. That's how much Jesus loves the church. That Jesus didn't love the church because the church is lovely in and of itself. That is the church, we are like the adulterous bride of Hosea, that we are the ones who so often go after other lovers, other gods, that the church is, is not lovely in and of itself, that the church is, is full of failure, the church is, is full of error, the church is full of mistakes, that if you come to Hope Church that you're going to find sinners, you're going to find people who often are hard to love, and it's true for any church. Anywhere you go, you're going to find that, that the church doesn't always look good on the outside. But it says that Christ loves the church so much 
that he gave himself for the church. And he loves the church so much that he's working to perfect and to purify the church, to present it to himself on the final day, spotless, without any blemish. The picture in the book of Revelation of the, the church being presented to Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the spotless bride to her husband. That is the love that Christ has for the church. But I think often for us, we may love the church as an abstract idea. We love the idea of the church. But I heard a pastor say recently that you only love the church as much as you love the most difficult to love person within your church. That is how much you love the church, which is, of course, a challenge to all of us because we recognize, yes, I love the church, but do I love this person next to me? Do I love this person across the room from me? How does my love actually hit the highway? How does the, the rubber hit the highway in actual practical action towards my brothers and sisters in Christ? And, and if Jesus loves us, then we are to love the church as well. But then the final question in all of this is to say, well, if Jesus loves the church, if he gave himself for the church, if he's going to present the church as spotless to himself, if the manifold wisdom of God is being made known through the church to the world, well, then how do I become part of the church? And the first way that we join the church is actually something that is not of ourselves at all that we cannot join the invisible church, the true body of Christ. We cannot join it by our own strength, by our own works, by our own action. But nothing we can ever do can bring us into the invisible church. And that's because it is a spiritual act of God, bringing us from spiritual death to spiritual life giving us eyes to see Christ. It's, it's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, that by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But the call is to repent and to trust in Christ alone for salvation. And as you repent and take hold of Jesus, take, letting go of all trust in yourself, the Bible says that you are united to Christ by faith. And that means that you become part of his body. You become part of the invisible church. That the moment you trust in Jesus, you are part of the spiritual, invisible body of Christ with all of its benefits. But then if that's you, if you're part of the invisible church through faith in Christ, then the call is to seek out a local expression of that individual invisible church and the, the visible church to engage with a, a local congregation of believers to understand the church with your mind to prioritize the church with your will and action and then finally by the grace of God to love the church with your heart knowing that it is Christ who loved you while you were yet a sinner and gave himself for you. Let's pray.
Father, we fail so often to understand the church, and insofar as we understand it, we don't prioritize it. And insofar as we prioritize it, we don't love it. We don't feel anything towards your church. And Lord, we repent of our hard hearts. And our, and our hard hearts towards people, even within our church, who are part of your body, both your invisible and visible church, Lord, we, we ask that we can love your church as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And we thank you that your church is the, the bride of Christ, that you promise to build your church, that you will continue to advance your church in the world, despite our blemishes, despite our imperfections, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that, that we thank you for the, the ministry of your word in the church to us. And we thank you that throughout the ages, for 2,000 years, that the manifold wisdom of God, your manifold wisdom, Father, has been made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And we ask that that would continue, even through this little expression of your church as Hope Church, that that manifold wisdom would be made known through our church, through Hope Church, to Garnet Valley, to Chad's Ford, to this region. We ask that the manifold wisdom would be made known that we would see men, women, and children come to faith, brought into the invisible church, baptized into the, in, the visible church, professing faith in Christ, walking in the discipleship. Teach them to observe all of these things, knowing that you are with us, even to the end of the age. And so we pray this in Jesus' name.